Hello and welcome to another podcast from World Radio Gardening. Ken Crowther has been travelling around to Northamptonshire, where he's been to see the gardens at the delightful Coton Manor. His guide was Susie Paisley-Tyler. Was it originally a sort of country house or was it part of an estate and farm? It's a very good question. It was in the Doomsday Book as a manor, a manor house. We don't know what happened subsequently to that particular house, but in the Civil War, whatever was here was taken down because it was a royally stronghold. And it was rebuilt as a farmhouse, which is what you see here, rather than a manor house. And it was a farmhouse for 300 years until they bought it in the 1920s, when they added two-thirds of the existing house <laughs> and created this garden, or the top part of the garden anyway. Now, the top part of the garden is quite large, isn't it? The whole garden is 10 acres, but this top part is about six. Just standing here on an, on an old York terrace, which it is. I mean, yes. it's a lovely Yorkstone terrace. It's got flowers and plants growing in it at the edges and some beautiful planting. You've got clematis up the house. You've got roses up the house, haven't you? And you're very mauve in here, purples and mauves. Is, um, that, is that because you like it at the moment or is that traditional? In this instance, the purple and the slightly citrus yellowy-green which is a nice contrast to it, is it's a theme through the season with different plants, yeah. I mean, it's not bedded, but there are still things to come out which you can't see at the moment. There are salvas, which are the same colour as the erysmums and the tulips that you're looking at. The tulips down there reflect the colours that are coming in the border. It's interesting because you've got what I would call a really strong, large, wide border there with herbaceous plants. I see you've got tree peonies at the back there, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Well, there are a lot of roses in that border, and there are salvias, irises, um, as you've already mentioned, peonies. There are salictrums and anemones and lilies. But they all tend towards that. It's a mixture from ranging from pale pink up to that sort of colour, purpley colour, the negrita tulips. Coming across, you've got a very neat yew hedge coming right across, really holding this garden yes. as a private garden in a way. It's, it's, a very, um, it, it's sort of the end of the formal part of the garden that surrounds the house. If you like, it's like an extended terrace of what we're standing on here. And it's the horizontals and the verticals which frame, give the framework to the garden. Not so apparent later on when it's in full flower, but at the moment they're still quite evident. I'm intrigued with your yew trees because they must be 10, 12 foot high. Mm-hmm. And all they are at this moment is a bunch of sticks. I'm being a bit rude, but a bunch of sticks mm. with a few green sprouts. Well, now, I'd say that's dramatic. It is quite dramatic. But if you look at the structure of a yew tree or a yew hedge, and these are Irish yews, which have quite a vertical emphasis, you either just prune the edge of it regularly and, and keep the shape that way, or you've got to cut right into it. Because if you go halfway house, you're just going to end up with a lot of brown that's not going to do anything. And we've done this with a hedge, and it comes back beautifully. At the moment, we're just pretending these are a pair of sculptures, and we're hoping they're going to green up. We'll, we'll wait and see. But, you know, they're not inoffensive to look at, actually. No, they're quite um, attractive. And, they're interesting. And it's the only way we can discover where we can revive the, the yew trees as they should be. The trouble is these were planted in the 1920s, and during the war years, they were let go. They weren't looked after. They once, end up funny once shapes, they've done they? a funny shape, it's quite difficult to retrieve them. I've learned something there, a sort of thing I can now try and be bold and try, you see. You always learn with gardening everywhere you go. Can I just walk across, if we walk to the corner here of, of, of the terrace, of the back terrace here, and look across, was this an, an original yes, stretch of water? This was this original? This was always here. The, the, all the water in the garden's natural. It's all spring-fed. 
and we sort of harness it as it goes down the hill and use it in different ways. Again, a series of, of terraces here framed with hedges, lovely old stone wall with alpines all growing in it, mm -hmm. separating it and then dropping down to... Do you call it a lake or a small lake? Yeah, we call it a pond. pond. And you've got ducks enjoying it. And There's a lovely <laughs> magnolia here. I mean, it really is a very, very attractive position. And I know you've got a nice seat, so what, glass of wine in the evening when the sun's going down? I've never done that. You, you know? haven't? No. You've missed out. I think you should do. <laughs> Have a rest occasionally. So this garden's the sort of formal piece. You haven't what, seen it all yet. You've what, got to come we've on. got to come this way, have we? Right, OK. <laughs> oh, there's a bit round the back. Now, we're walking round another holly hedge, and, and here we have well, a set of oval gardens. This is the old rose garden. This was the original kitchen garden that went with the farmhouse. And this was the holly hedge which kept out the cattle from the vegetable garden, as it was. And my husband's grandparents made it into a rose garden, which was terribly formal with a lot of square or rectangular beds. And then my mother-in-law changed the shape of the raised beds and did the central sort of roundel of four quarters and had raises in them and this kidney-shaped bed in front of us here. About eight years ago, we took the roses out because of rose sickness. So I've planted the middle four beds with a variety of things which look good through the summer. And I have actually put back in each bed a group of three roses. little white pet roses because they're so good. But I haven't, because we gave the soil a rest for at least five you or six years. You do need to, don't you? Yeah. But that's all I put back in there. But we have planted a lot of roses round the edge, which aren't terribly evident. You can see the banks of the tear just coming out on the wall over there. Very vigorous the and very one. colourful, isn't it? Yeah. You're listening to another podcast from World Radio Gardening. Ken Crowther out on the road today in Northamptonshire at the beautiful Coton Manor. His guide is Susie Paisley-Tyler, who's been explaining the layout of the gardens. Tell us a bit about the water garden, because we're on quite a gradient here, aren't we? Yes. This was done by my husband's grandparents in the 1920s without any professional guidance. They obviously had some <laughs> labour to do it, but they didn't. They just did it. It was just fields. There weren't any trees or anything here, but there was obviously a stream coming out of the pond, and they've used that to bring the water out in two places, one which feeds the water garden and one which feeds the rill, which you'll see later on between the orchards. I've changed the planting here over the last 24 years quite a bit, but we haven't changed the shape of anything. And it's just amazing how the framework that they put in over 90 years ago has, has actually withstood the period of time in between. I was going to say, if I stood at the bottom, I would guess that you could be 20 feet different from top to bottom. Quite possibly, It's a, yes. it's a height. Yes. And what they've used is, is this is all local, local stone, stone they've used, yes. to hold beds up, to yes. create a sort of series of terraces. And next to the stream here, you've got, again, planting all against the stream with yep. some lovely ferns and different plants. And hostas, which you mm -hmm. seem to have managed to keep the slugs away from mainly, mm. so far anyway. We've got a lot of birds in the garden, and I think that's spoilt for choice because we've got so many hostas, but also... If you go for these blue leaf, grey leafed ones, they're less digestible for the for the slugs and snails. So it's a good good way to start with hostas if you want not to be eaten and shredded. Mm. Now again, what you've done here is you've added pieces of colour to take us through the season, haven't you? And again, you've used 
uh, particularly groups of tulips, use, use heavy planting of tulips, what mm. I call heavy planting, where they're quite close together, but you use impact. You've got a sort of, I was going to say, two and a half feet round of tulip, bold colours and oranges yeah. here, haven't you? Well, I, I'm a great believer in orange. A lot of women don't like orange, but it's such a brilliant colour from a distance. And you see this from the other end of the garden over there. And it shows up, and you'll see I've repeated it somewhere else further down the garden. It's a brilliant colour. But if you're going to have orange, you've got to be very careful to have lots of green with it to set it off. And and a certain amount of blue. So this blue corridalis is just coming out, and sort of beyond where you can see, there's some Omphalodes cherry ingram, which is wonderful, vibrant blue. <laughs> you can see it. Just you're determined. Oh, yes. There. So isn't that gorgeous? Blue, blue and orange it? together, and then there's some Brunnera, which is also blue. Yep. But you see, this corridalis is just, there's a bit of escaped there. It's going to be that next blue. So there's a lot of blue and orange in that bed. There are orange lilies coming. It's interesting the way you have let plants escape. You said mm-hmm. you've let them escape, and they just come up on the edges of the gravel paths. But that's yes. how gardens should be, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. You need to control it a bit. But as long as it looks natural, it's fine. Now, looking around this area, you said it used to have geese in it, but it's now got some very attractive trees. Are some of those ones that you've planted while you've been here because they're some of your favourites? Yes, my mother-in-law had planted some interesting fruit trees. So there's the quince, the white mulberry and the medlar. Although I've had to replant the medlar because they're very shallow rooted and it it was further up here and it was right in the path of the prevailing wind and one day it just tipped over. over. So I've replanted in a more sheltered position. But we've added to that. This is a wonderful marlis um, down here which is called robusta red siberian and it's still got the fruit on it from last year along with the blossom that's on it now it's and it's very impressive indeed it's so you've, got, beautiful. you've got a birch over there that's you've a jacamonti birch yes prunus with the prunus gorgeous cerula, and and then the quince and um this is a davidia which isn't looking terribly happy unfortunately now the woodland garden we've got chestnuts we've got quite a mix we've got um we've, beech here we've got, we've got a huge tulip tree first of all which oh, is the most important fantastic one. isn't yeah. it and then we've got a copper beech and a walnut and then yes you're right chestnut. horse chestnut but quite a lot of beech mainly beech now tell us a bit about this garden because the, the bed behind you has got some really charming plants in it that are absolutely fantastic yes this has got a lot of sort of well quite a few bulbs a lot of things that are summer dormant which are just coming to the end of their best bit. So there's erythroniums, there's three different types of erythroniums, epimediums and trilliums and anemone amorosa. They're actually plants that not enough people bother to put in their garden, possibly because they're, they're early flowers. Work. They're early flowers and they're quite hard work and they're summer dormant, so a lot of them. So when you get to the summer, you're looking at the sarcococca shrubs, the hydrangeas, the ferns, the iris fetidissima, and the epimedium leaves, and everything else goes quiet, disappears. So people lose interest, don't they, if they're not well, careful? I, you might not, but people I, in their average garden I think garden the average can. gardener probably can't be bothered. It's quite a lot of work. Mm. It's a lot of weeding and a lot of thug control, you know, things <laughs> try to take over. Yeah. Now, over, then, then we look behind us, and there's a huge bed here, isn't yes. there? Now, tell us through some of these plants, and why is this bed very different? For variety's sake, to show, you know, the different things that will grow in woodland, because otherwise it would be rather boring if it was all the same. So these are more herbaceous woodlanders, things that will cope under trees, and people don't think they can plant in shade, but you can see there's a choisier right in the deepest part of the shade over Still, there. And it's got flowers, flowering, flowering, yeah. yeah. There's all sorts of things. This Silene fimbriata just about to come out with white flowers in here. And over here there's a Lamium orvala, which is just 
an unusual sort of lamium, not the normal sort of spreading thug. With um, a ni- nice one. flower, lovely flower coming That's through there pretty. as well. The pulmonaries are just finishing and the hellebores are finished and then we've got aconitum ivory in the white form here and then there's aconitum anglicum, the blue... With, which is the star, taller one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, over there. I mean, growing in really, really dry shade. So it's it's interesting how many things will perform in, in these conditions. And then later You've on... We've got an enemy through here, haven't there's we? There's an enemy for later on, and tricertus, there are groups of them spread through, and there are hardy geraniums that can cope with dry shade. Then there are some shrubs, like the Sambucus Black Beauty, and the Drymus lanceolata and you've got some, some hydrangea special hydrangeas here. and the magnolia. So it's, it's amazing what, what you can grow in what most people would regard as hopeless situation. Well, it wouldn't be fair to leave Curtin Manor Gardens without talking about the bluebell wood. And we're lucky enough to be here at a time when, of course, I think they're just about at their best, wouldn't you say? My husband says they're not fully out yet. I'm not going to grumble. <laughs> they are absolutely good. gorgeous. And so intense. And, and the thing that is unusual here is there's nothing else amongst no, the bluebells. There's no lower story planting. Nothing. It's just bluebells and beech, basically. And the beech is the most wonderful lime green, and the trunks are very vertical. So I always think it's just like walking into a cathedral when you come in here. And it's sad the sun's not out today because that just is an extra dimension which we're lacking. Is there any maintenance here at all um, to, to speak yes. of? Yes, there's a bit of elder that creeps in, the, the shrubby elder, not the ground elder, fortunately, and a bit of holly that we occasionally get rid of. Not a lot, but we have spent quite a lot of money on thinning out trees and replanting a bit of beech here and there. And when we came here, there were a lot of um, larch, which I think had been put into the wood um, in the 1920s. I think the beech came in then. It was ancient woodland, but I think... Beech is not a native tree to Northamptonshire, no. so I think the beech were planted then. We can only guess at it. And the larch were put in to sort of get the wood going, and they hadn't been taken out, and I think we've now removed all the larch. So it is pure beech with a few oaks around the edge. It's five acres. I mean, five acres of bluebell yeah. is worth coming to see because yeah. it is just a block of blue. I mean, I can't say anything else about it. There's nothing to describe it other than it's just beautiful. Mm. And, of course, bluebells have got a colour that... It's so distinct, isn't it? It, yes. it? Nothing else actually matches it particularly, does it? Yes, it, it's amazing. And it, I'm, my sense of smell isn't that great, but the smell is lovely too, I believe, people tell me. <laughs> well, you've got a website, haven't you? So people we can have. find you. Yes. And what is that? Um, it's Paisley Tyler, P-A-S-L-E-Y, Tyler, all one word, at Coton Manor, which is C-O-T-O-N, Manor, all one word. .co.uk And I tell you what, there is something to look at and in fact I think your garden here um, could match many of the famous gardens around the country and people would get possibly even more from having a look at your planting than perhaps in some of the other gardens as well. Well that's very kind of you. Susie Paisley-Tyler of Coton Manor in Northamptonshire describing her beautiful gardens to Ken Crowther. Well, that brings us to an end, this latest podcast from World Radio Gardening, but visit our website regularly for more information. Thank you for listening.